Welcome, and thanks for joining us on the podcast. Now let's join our senior pastor, Wayne Alcorn, from Hope Centre Brisbane, for his message. So I'm so glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. Actually, it wouldn't have been the same if you hadn't have been here. And uh, I know it's holiday weekend starting and all that kind of stuff, but the fact that you made it is uh, just a wonderful thing. So good on you. I know there's a hundred other things you could be doing, but you made a choice to be here, and I want to give you a great salute for that. I'm so glad my great mate Mike was able to be here. Mike Kai is awesome. Uh, as he said earlier, there, there's just a connection that we have made. Uh, and what a story, hey? I'd like you to join me one more time in thanking him. for <laughs> That was pretty vulnerable, pretty raw, pretty honest. And uh, I leaned over to him and said, don't even pray about what you're preaching in Brisbane next week. Do that one first. That's just, that, that was amazing. And I'm really glad that this thing's here. I asked Ben, I said, how old's that? He said... Uh, I don't know, about 1940 something. I thought, fantastic, something he's older than me, <laughs> which is really cool. You know what I love about this whole thing? Being qualified, being useful, being needed has nothing to do with your age or anything. How many are glad for that? You're never too old, and you're never too young. Little kid wrote to his granddad and said, Granddad, I heard you just had a birthday. I heard somebody say you've gone over the hill. He wrote back and said, Buddy, I have, but I only went over the hill to pick up speed. So, you good? Cool. You ready to respond to the preacher? Fantastic. Who has a Bible with them? If you don't have it, it doesn't matter. We do Bible karaoke here at Desert Life Church, so it's it's all good. But I am going to shoot in a few minutes straight out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. If you are somebody who doesn't normally attend church, once you relax, we're just glad you're here. We're just ordinary guys. You just heard that story just then. Just ordinary guys. Some of us have made a mistake. But we have a God of the second chance. He puts people back together again and gives them a future worth living, which is just brilliant. So I've got a question for you. Have you ever had one of those phone calls where the person on the other end of the call says, are you sitting down? And you say, well, should I? And they said, yeah, you need to sit down because I've got something to tell you that just could take your breath away. I've had those calls. And I reckon a lot of us in this room have. And we're about to hear some things which could change, if not our life, certainly radically affect the next season of our life. How we respond in times like that really affect who we become as a man. In fact, affects our world around us sometimes forever. I'm going to read a a, a long story. It's the only time we're actually really going to refer to the scripture. But I, I, I want to do this for you. Some of you didn't have a chance to read your Bible this morning. I'm going to do it for you right now. Are you ready? Here we go, audio Bible coming up, 1 Samuel chapter 13, we're going to read 19 verses. Going to put it on the screen for you, so read along if you, if you wish. It says, now David and his men reached Ziklag. Say Ziklag. Ziklag. Say it with a German accent, Ziklag. <laughs> they reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag, and they attacked Ziklag and burned it. And had taken captive the women and everyone in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off 
as they went on their way. Now, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives and sons and daughters had taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. David's two wives had been captive, Ahinoam, the Jezreel, of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmen. And David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. And Abiathar brought it to him. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. David and 600 men with him came to the, came to the Besor Valley, which, uh, when, where some stayed behind. 200 of them were too exhausted to cross the valley, but David and the other 400 men continued in pursuit. They found an Egyptian in the field and brought him to David and they gave him water to drink and food to eat, part of, the, part of a cake of pressed figs and two cakes of raisins and he ate and was revived for he had not eaten for any food or drink or water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, who do you belong to? Where do you come from? He said, I'm an Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite. My master abandoned me when I became ill three days ago. We raided, listen to what he's telling them. We raided the Negev of the Kerithites, some territory belonging to Judah, and the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag. David asked him, can you lead me down to this raiding party? He answered, swear to me before God that you will not kill me or, uh, or hand me over to my master, and I will take you down. He led David And there they were, scattered over the countryside, eating and drinking and reveling because of the great amount of plunder they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from Judah. David fought against them from dusk until evening of the next day, and none of them got away except 400 men who rode off on camels and fled. David recovered everything. Say everything. Everything. David recovered everything. Everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. I love this last verse. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. And David brought everything back. I want to talk to you today about making a comeback. I want to talk to you today about recovering all. You see, this was a, an interesting time. In the life of a guy called David, a man the Bible actually says has got a heart like God's. And yet, even having a heart like God, even being what some would say is quite holy, wrote a large chunk of the Bible, particularly the Psalms. And yet, even people like that go through tough times. And David was in an intense and an immensely pressured season of his life. In fact, if you read the life of David, I reckon his life was... Probably the basis for that song, I get knocked down and I get up again. That's his story. All right, time and time and time again. He has more hits than a rugby front rower. He just keeps getting knocked over and yet he continues to get back up again. And that's what's happening here in his life. It's a dark time because there's a mad king called Saul that's after his life, driven by jealousy, can't stand David, threatened. He's after him. 
And so he moves his, his men and his families to Ziklag, where he maintains quite an awkward relationship with the Philistines. It's like Queensland and New South Wales getting on. It's really weird, but it can happen. Really. With God's help. So he's in this really awkward alliance. Can you believe it? Against the Philistines. Crazy, huh? And there he's living in one of their towns called Ziklag. One day, they're actually off helping in raids with the Philistines. And while they're away, the Amalekites raid the town of Ziklag. And as you saw in those verses we read, they they take all of the women, all of the children, all of the livestock, everything of value in that place. They take it away and then burn it to the ground. Wow. Burn it to the ground. When the men with David discover it, Bible says they were so shattered that they could weep no more. You ever been to that point where you just, you're shot? You ever seen a kid, you know, you've had to discipline them, you've had to scold them, something happened. You know when they go, <laughs> you know when they, 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 just, they can't, they're, they're done, there's nothing left in them. Shattered, empty men. The Bible says these people were so shot, they were so, they, they were emotionally fatigued, there was nothing left in them. The only energy they had left, they said, let's use it to kill our king. <laughs> I remember one time, years and years ago, I was 27 when I became the senior pastor of my first church. I remember the day the, the great people of God that pointed me, they prayed over me, and I was like, wow, this was a really special day. I'm going to be the man. I'm going to be the leader of my own church in my own right. My dad was in the crowd, and I remember he walks up to me with his kind of, you know, old school swagger, and he shakes my hand. He says, congratulations, son. You're the leader now. I said, yeah. He said, I just got to warn you. They only put you out the front to get a better shot at you. <laughs> Powerful words. (laughs) David knows the pain of leadership. Who do you blame? Blame the one out front. These men were shattered and they were broken hearted. And probably some of us here today, we've got our Central Australian swagger on and we can do the whole thing. But if we're actually to sit down... And tell somebody our story. Somebody in this room has probably got a story that says, you know what? It looks pretty hopeless. Maybe not everything about my life, but sections of my life. Our message today is there is hope. Somebody say, yeah. There there, there actually is hope. Our message today is God does restore. Our message today is you may not feel qualified. You may feel disqualified by disaster. You may feel disqualified through disappointment. You may feel disillusioned and hence disqualified. I'm here today to tell you that you can recover all. I'm here today to tell you that the God that we were singing to, the God that we raised hands to a few minutes ago, is the God that can make all things new. He can actually give you life beyond your mistakes. Somebody say, yeah. He's able to help you recover all and you can be restored from the inside out. That's our message. Someone needs to hear that. Someone who's been through a divorce needs to hear that. Someone who's been declared bankrupt needs to hear that. 
Somebody who's made some mistakes that cause you to go home and beat yourself up. Somebody like that needs to hear that. Hmm. Somebody with some major health issues that says, does, does anybody want to use a broken down old thing like this? You need to hear that. Some of you that feel a failure as a dad need to hear that. Heard a story from the, I heard a statement from the great philosopher, Dr. Phil. <laughs> I, he actually said something so profound, it's so true. He said, for dads, we're only as happy as our saddest child. It's the truth. You feel it. I had a phone call this week from a friend, a very good friend, who's recently parked himself in Hope Center. He rang me. The man has had to leave his job. He's had to leave his previous church. He's had to move beyond so much. And he's doing it all with a broken heart because he's got a 17-year-old son on drugs that's destroying his life, destroying the family and destroying everything around him. And quite emotionally on the phone the other day, he said to me, Pastor Wayne, I feel such a failure. Can I tell you something? When kids get to that age, they make their own choices. Even good dads have kids that make bad choices. It's a fact. No matter what's happened, I'm here today to tell you, in any phase of your life where you feel shame, disappointment, or even defeat, I'm here today to tell you, you can have a future worth living. You can help, through God's help, recover all. Aren't you glad you came to a place that didn't didn't plan to beat you up today? There's some men's events and people get together and they beat you up. Tell you you're not good enough. I'm only here to tell you one thing is, God is good enough and he is able. And he can actually help you recover all. But before you do the, come to that place of recovery, there are some things that you need to discover. Discoveries before recoveries. That's what I want to talk to you about. Five things that I actually think will actually help you if you're in that place today. Here's the first one. Decisions they are. The decision. Do you know at the end of your life, you heard Mike say, you know, he's from a small town. I got my friend Jim in the crowd. We're from a small town called Mundubra. Probably don't go there for a holiday. Doesn't even rate a mention on a lot of maps. I actually got a heart for guys from small towns. Okay, but you know what? It's not about where you were born. It's not even whose parents, who, who you had as parents. It's not about your genetic code or your postcode. Ultimately, your life is determined by decisions you make. Ultimately. So let me give you some decisions that you need to make based on some discoveries you have in this place, in this event, even in the Word of God. Here's number one. You've got to decide to find your strength in the Lord. Your strength in the Lord. Verse 6 says, David found strength in the Lord. He, he was shattered. He was feeling what every other man around him was feeling. He was feeling disillusioned. He was feeling lost. He was feeling the pain of the loss that he'd experienced. But you know what? He said, though that has sapped me of strength, I've got to find a source of strength. And he found his strength in the Lord. That's where you'll find it too. You know the trouble with most of us? We have a man look. You know what a man look? You know what a man look is? Man look is if it doesn't fall into our open arms when we open a door, it's not there. 
I, I regularly have man looks. I say, Lynn, can't find it. It's not there. She goes in. You know that look a woman gets when you've told them it's not there and they, they come out? And they, they, Hey, if you're in a situation right now, don't just have a man look for God. The Bible says if you seek God with all your heart, you will find him. If you, see, if you make a decision, you know what? And being here today says you're one of those kind of guys that says, hey, I, I won't be distracted. I have to find God in the middle of my mess, in the middle of my situation. I've got to find God. David chose to find the Lord. There was a time when he felt so alone. You know, I actually think loneliness is one of the great killers of the human soul. In fact, it's the first thing in the Bible God said wasn't good, isn't it? It wasn't sin. It was a guy doing life alone. He goes, that's not good. And David felt so alone. He didn't know where he could find help. He didn't know where he'd find strength from anywhere here on earth. So he looked to the heavens. He found his strength in the Lord. People want to kill him. He found his strength in the Lord. Have you ever discovered that sometimes people around you, they're so hurt that they don't know anything else other than to react? Hurt people hurt people, correct? These guys, they they weren't bad men around him. They were just broken and disappointed and they're reacting. And amidst all that chaos, David has to make a choice. I'm going to look to the Lord. In fact, he wrote this verse. It's an incredible verse. You might want to just put it in your notes. Psalm 46 verse 1. He calls his God my refuge and my strength. How many know that he discovered that even when life's bad, God's good? When life's bad, God's good. Find your strength. Hook into that one who is your shield and your strength. Second thing he did. I like this. He got an ephod. It's code for big boy pants. Make yourself a known. Put on my big boy pants. David asked for an ephod. He called the priest, Abiathar. He says, bring me an ephod. An ephod is the clothing that the priest wore when they intentionally went to connect with God. Here's a priest. You know, you know something? Your wife needs you to be a priest. Your kids need you to be a priest. Somebody who believes it, say amen. They, they need you to, to take some spiritual initiative. You know, I, I love what God is doing amongst our youth in our nation. I love what God is doing amongst the women of our nation. But if I've got something that grips me, even burdens me, is the fact that a lot of men are shrinking back and saying to the wife, you go get the ephod. You be the priest. You be the one that prays. You be the one that goes to church. Ah, you know, I've got to mow the grass. You be the one that, that seeks God. You be the one that actually gives the kids some spiritual input. No, no. Hey, guys, I'm here today to, say, to call you to go find your ephod and go be the priest in your home. Go be a man of God in church. Don't let things distract you when it comes time to get to church. I was glad when they said, I'm going to the house of God. I'm not going camping when it's time to worship God. I'm not going going away doing other stuff I'm not going to go go uh, mowing my grass when I should be in the house of God with my family showing my kids how to worship God I'm getting my ephod on come on I was glad when they said let's do this I want my kids to see me reading the Bible 
My son was asked recently, my youngest son, you've heard him. He's been out here preaching Ryan. He and I were doing a men's event and somebody said to him, why are you a Christian? You know what he said? I heard my dad praying when I was a kid. And he looked at me and said, I don't think I've ever told you that. He said, it profoundly impacted me when I was growing up. I didn't even know. I didn't sort of get a, hey, I'm wearing my ephod. Because actually it should be something that comes naturally. Pastor Mike told his story this morning. If you ever get a chance, you jump on the Hope Center. I told my story on Easter Sunday night. And I told the story how the reason I'm a Christian, let alone being a pastor and a leader, is that I used to come home absolutely out of my head in my teens. Pastor Mike showed you photos of when he was 19. Any photo of me is banned from public display. Had hair past my belt. I was not pretty. I was a preacher's kid, lost my way, who was just causing his family so much pain. And I used to come home 2, 3 in the morning or later. And you know what? I'd hear my dad pray. And I heard him pray one night. And I just stopped out of my head. Could barely stand. And I heard him say this. God! You said he'd be a preacher. I committed to him, you to him as a child. I will not let you go until I see that with my own eyes. Now, I didn't that night fall on my knees, cry out to God. I fell on my knees only because I couldn't stand up, but that was it. But you know what? The effect of my dad wearing an ephod affected me, affected my sister. Both of us today are leading major ministries in our nation. And I reckon it's because my dad knew how to take spiritual authority, break the powers that were destroying our life. Some of us need to go home and say, you know what, I'm going to go and get an ephod. If you've got a wife who's a prayer, if you've got a wife who's a worshiper, thank God for it. As Ben said earlier, this is not a competition. We're not meant to compete with our wife. We're meant to compliment our wife. And we have a responsibility in the home to be somebody that wears comfortably our ephod. Good preaching, Pastor Wayne. My heart for Aussie guys, my heart for them, is that we'd rise up and take some spiritual initiative in a local church. Stand with our pastors. Be reliable. Men of God. Worshipping. You know, I did a men's event some years ago now, and I looked at the choir, all big islanders, Pastor Mike. Big guys. Kind of guys you grew up with. The whole choir, probably 30 men. And look, and they've got big black T-shirts. And I look across, right across the front of their T-shirt. Real men sing real loud. <laughs> I just reckon, I reckon churches across Alice Springs just need men. Who aren't just paid to do it, you know, paid to preach, paid to pray. But no, no, no. Men who turn up, I'm with you, pastor. Come on. Where am I ephod today? You can count on me. Some of the great men in this church that have impacted me are big, strong men on the land doing stuff and just incredible people in their professions who have no problems with their hands raised. Sometimes they're moved emotionally by the presence of God because they know he's their strength and they know he's their reason and they have no hassle in responding to him with their ephod on. Get your ephod. Here's the other thing. Let God speak to you. Prayer isn't a monologue, it's a dialogue. It's, it's, 
And, and, and we're not good at this. Most of us are. I'm, I'm not good. I'm one of the world's most impatient men. I hate queues. I can't stand a queue. I, I'm, I'm impatient. I want things yesterday. But you know, sometimes if I need to hear from God, I actually need to learn to stop and realize that prayer is not just me telling him what I want, telling him what he needs to do. I need to be able to stop and listen and hear his voice. I'm not talking about, you know, sometimes there's this big booming voice, you know, that sounds like something off a movie. I'm, I'm just talking about, you know. When I was growing up, my dad used to talk to me. He says, Wayne, you need to keep your Noah on. Your Noah. Spelled K-N-O-W. I know that God's spoken to me. It's just this, it, it's just, it's so true in me. I, I can recognize his voice speaking to me. Could, have you got to that place in your walk with God where you recognize his voice? He'll speak to you. The best place is open this book, he'll speak to you. Some words will leap off the page. It, it won't happen if you don't open it. Seriously, guys. Spend some time just, just quiet and quietening. It's a hard word. Your heart. Let me speak to you. And you begin to recognize his voice. I was, I was at a conference on the Sunshine Coast late last year, having breakfast with a friend of mine. And the guy behind me, who I don't know if I'd ever met him in my life, he turned around and said, are you Wayne Alcorn? I said, yes, I am. He said, I recognize your voice. He said, I've got every teaching you've ever taught on family and men. And we begin to have this chat. He says, I've heard your voice many times. I've played your car. I travel as a salesman. I've played your CDs in my car over and over and over. I recognize your voice. I, I want to have that kind of relationship with God where, where it, it becomes a natural thing for me to recognize his voice. God spoke to David and David knew how to recognize his voice. He says, God, what am I supposed to do? And God begins to speak to him. He says, you pursue them. Here's the fourth thing. Running out of time, so let's go four. Number four, you got to, oh, this is a biggie. I'm on a crusade right now. And number four represents it. You need to show kindness. Say kindness. Kindness. You need to show kindness even in a crisis. I want to start a revolution of kindness. Somebody actually just gave me a T-shirt they had made up called the Kindness Club. I want to be the president of the kindness club. I, 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 I'm stirred by the fact, you know what? I actually don't think I'm naturally kind. Is it okay to be that honest? I, I'm generous. I'm generous. I, I, I'll, I'll get in and give things my best shot, but I don't think I'm naturally kind. So for kindness to be shown by me on a daily basis, I actually think it needs to be something that God is doing a work in my life. Then I read the Bible and I read in 1 Corinthians 13 that love is patient. Oh, there's that word again. Love is? Right. Then I go to Galatians chapter 5 and I find there's all these fruit of the Spirit that I don't even have to work up. They just happen to develop in my life when I've got more of the Holy Spirit at work in me. You begin to have a look at, at what the fruit of the Spirit is. It's love and joy and peace and gentleness and, oh, here it is again. Kindness. Kindness. David showed kindness in crisis to an enemy. I, I, I am challenging myself daily. Wayne, don't get so focused. <clears throat> Slow down a little. Look around. 
notice people. A friend of mine had this great line, live with your head on swivel. Amen. Who can I be kind to? Oh, mate, I'm this Aussie bloke. Yeah, well, that's good. That's the natural you. I'm talking about the supernatural you. I'm talking about the work of the Spirit of God in you that's causing fruit to develop. David showed kindness to this slave guy, this Egyptian slave, who actually said, could you imagine it? He's sitting there, well, what have you been doing? Well, you know, I've been hanging out with the boss, and we burned down this town called Ziklag. Can you imagine the look on his face when David said, well, actually, that's where we're from. Wow. Wow. And yet David gives him some water, hasn't drunk water in three days. You know that that can be fatal. He says, here's some water. He says, and by the way, got a cake of dates and some cake of raisins. Try that. That'll keep you regular. (laughs) Gives it to him. The Bible says the man's refreshed. And then David says, I've got got a, a request he says, can you, can you help us find your boss? She says, yeah. Here's what I've learned. Here's what I'm learning as I'm pursuing this kindness challenge. You know what it is? When I'm kind to others, I sow it, I reap it. The Bible actually says if I refresh others, I also am refreshed. There is a principle, guys. In, you know, so many of us want to reap before we sow, but if you sow, then you'll reap. David starts sowing kindness and he reaps the rewards. Can you imagine what our church, which is already doing great things, or your church if you're from somewhere else, could you imagine what would happen if every one of us said, you know what, I'm going to be kind. You know, the Bible actually says the church of God is like the army. Read Song of Solomon's. Especially if you're married, it's good for you. Song of Solomon. She's a red hot book, that one. Song of Solomon 6 verse 4 tells me God brought me into his banqueting house. How good is this? And his banner over us is love. Yeah, he says in in chapter 6, he says they're, they're an awesome group. They're like an army. Awesome as an army with banners. And that banner is love. But love is patient and love is kind. So can you imagine if the church became an army that began to move out amongst the community, into every street, into every workplace, and we went with the army of God. Oh, we're beating in our heart. We're God's soldiers. But oh, we're not here to dominate. We're here to serve with acts of kindness. Could you imagine what that would do for the church I believe it would roll out the red carpet for the gospel of Jesus Christ oh but they'd be now enemy well no they're not they're just like you were before you met Jesus come on let's start a kindness revolution some of us think oh that's just that's a girly thing can I tell you the greatest leader in the old testament is a man called Moses You know what inspires me about him? Most of us think that to be a great leader, to be a strong leader, you've got to be a bully. You know what it says of this guy that led three million people into victory? Out of the pain of slavery? See, he was the meekest of all men. Does my head in. It flips what we think of what a real man is. Real man's got nothing to do with the size of his biceps. It's all to do with the size of his heart and his capacity to love others in Jesus' name. He showed kindness. I've got a commitment in life, you know. One of my mentors, one of my heroes as I was growing, particularly as a younger leader, was a guy called Tommy Barnett. 
You know what Pastor Tommy used to teach me? Shake hands with everybody. You don't know what's in it. <laughs> Just shake hands. You don't know what blessing's in it. I've learned to encourage others. You know, that's where some of us can just start. Over lunch today. Have you ever thought about that word, encourage? That little prefix, en, means put in. Put courage in. The strength to live out the fight of life. Put, Put it in. You know, I read one of my favorite books of the last two years is a story of a man who, who tomorrow has his last race for Australia in the Paralympic or in the, 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 the disability area of the Commonwealth Games. His name is Kurt Fernley. Kurt Fernley grew up in a town of 200 people. He has won the, the New York Marathon, the Boston Marathon. He's won marathons around the world in his wheelchair. He's won gold medals in the, at the Olympics. He is incredible. And yet this guy was born with nothing sort of from midway down his back working. He had these legs with two little tiny flaps of flesh. And yet he's done phenomenal things. You know, he's, he's, he's gone across the Kokoda track, which most able-bodied people can't do. He did it on his hands and what's left of his, the lower end of his body. He crawled the Kokoda track. I read that book and I got emotional reading it. And I watched what's left of the marathon tomorrow. It's going to stir my heart. It's his last race ever. And I'm reading and I'm looking, how, how does a guy like this become like he is such a champion? What's the secret source? You know what I discovered? He grew up in a small town where everybody, family, friends, everyone in the community encouraged him. You know what he said? Growing up, I didn't know I had a disability. I just thought I was short. You know why? Because of the environment of encouragement. You know, that's what for some of you, that's the most kind thing you can do to a guy today is just encourage them. They, they've got disabilities. They've got things that they're actually feeling a failure in. You just go and put some courage into them with some kind words. You could create a champion just with the power of your words. And courage. And then at the end of it all, ultimately you can do everything right, but you've still got to launch your own recovery mission. It says in verse 17, David fought from dawn until evening of the next day and none of them got away. Set 400 young guys on camels. Wow. Launch your recovery mission. And no, it's highly likely that it's going to take some time. You know the trouble with some of us? We give up too quick. David went without sleep to win his victory. Here's what I'm learning. I am learning that a big battle is a prophecy. I'm learning the more I've got to fight, And the bigger the battle, the bigger the victory on the other side. So it's worth to keep swinging. It's worth to keep praying. It's worth it to keep believing. It's worth to to continue to believe that God is going to somehow break through. I'm launched. uh, Right now I'm in the middle of a recovery uh, uh, battle. Right now. Right now I'm standing with some friends who are in a recovery battle for their own life as they fight cancer. We recently have seen some incredible miracles in our own family. And can I tell you something? That didn't happen through one prayer. Jesus said, you want to get some answers, you've got to believe. You've got to stand. You've got to knock. You've got to ask. And you've got to keep knocking until the door is open. Some of us knock. And they, you know, have you ever gone to a house, knock once and walked away? 
No, no, no. You want to launch your recovery battle. You knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and fight in the spirit. Fight for your kids. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your business. Fight for your town. And don't give up until the breakthrough comes. The Bible says, and having done all of that, everything happened. David recovered everything. One day I'll come back and finish this message. There's there's five things you shouldn't do, and I'll tell you that next time I come back. You lost a few things, you can recover all. It could look different. Ziklag would have looked different after the rebuilding process. That's okay. But there's hope, there's a future. When you let God in. Can you say amen? Amen. Would you stand up and let me pray for you? You know, I'm watching that man that rang me with his son on drugs. I, I turned around the other Sunday and I looked out. Saw a man who physically, emotionally and spiritually just looks like somebody's renewed his life he's been completely renovated he's six months into that journey and we've probably got 12 months to go but it's worth the fight keep going keep going my dad you know the day I became the leader of our movement I was around about 50 years of age everybody's high-fiving me and patting me on the back and like yeah you're the man Didn't know what I was in for, to be quite honest. Then at the end of the row, after everyone had gone, there was an old man. My old dad. He was 80. He came to the conference that day to see if I got in. Though he knew in his heart. You know, when I was 18 one night, I came home. I I, I don't know how, how he did this. I honestly don't know how he did this. I would want to fight my dad on a Sunday morning. Now, I'm a preacher. You want to be, you, want, you don't want distraction, you don't want any pain, you don't want any stuff. You don't want any disturbances. And I just know that the pit of hell was using me as their tool. And I was. I remember one day, I'm trying to fight my dad. I, wanted to, I was smart. I was at university. He was just this alcoholic that got saved in a small country town. And so he was dumb and I was smart. I remember I decided this day I was going to have a good, big fight at him because I was studying biology. I want to have a fight with him again about evolution. So yeah, yeah, fat guy. What would you know, you know? Started to provoke him. Still under the influence of the Saturday night's party before. And I shaped up to him. I remember he, he got me because he actually could go, the old boy. And he grabbed me around here and he pinned me to the wall. And I still remember his right, he had his left hand against my throat and his right hand like this. And I'm looking at it. I just had for his 90th birthday the signet ring he's worn for the last 50 years redone because I remember that thing. And I'm looking at it. And you know what he said to me? He said, there's only one reason I don't kill you today. I said, what's that? 
He said, God told me you're going to be a preacher. You're going to be a significant leader in this nation and beyond. I just gave him that, you know, look. Wind the clock forward, 32 years. Huh. High five. There's this old man. He walks up, looks at me. Told you. Walked away. Walked away. Hey, it's worth fighting. It's worth fighting. Fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your marriage. Fight for whatever the battle is. And don't give up till victory comes. Because, hey, God hasn't given up on you. Would you open your hands to God? Tell him the area where there's some scorched earth in your life. Is it family? Is it health? Is it some area where you felt you failed God and you were disqualified and he could never use you? Whisper to him, say, God, let's go recover it all. Whisper to him. Whisper to him. I sense the presence of God on some hearts right now. Some men in this place don't even regularly go to church, but you're thinking, wow, there's something special going on. Let let me tell you, it's not created. The atmosphere is not created by the music. It's God here at work wanting to speak to you, wanting to come and help you and change your life from the inside out. Now, hands are open and some of them are raised, saying, God, I'm desperate. I pray over you, my friend. I pray that you would see God do a complete work of restoration in your life. And I agree with you. I pray for each one of us that we'd be people that go find our ephod. I pray for each one of us that we'd find our fight again because some of us have just been so worn down. We've got no energy left. I pray that you'd be strengthened again by the help and the presence of God. And I agree with you that the God who makes everything new would be working on your behalf as you lay hold of him by faith in Jesus' name.